Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So I'll be offering um, a lightly guided 30-minute sit, and there'll be time for um, um, some thoughts I'd like to share with you, a particular reflection on um, a teaching from the Buddha, equanimity, and uh, turbulent times. So, um, and there'll be time for um, some breakout rooms, and um, then we'll come back and might have some discussion or questions, whatever feels um, um, appropriate, whatever arises, you know. So um, there is, uh, now's a good time to, uh, to begin. I'll ring a little bell that I have. So I invite you to find a posture as well supportive of your bodily structure that allows you to sit in such a way that is alert and also soft. upright and noble. And also receptive. In whatever way that feels good to you. I invite you to have your eyes closed. And what is also true is that if at any time you find that eyes closed is extremely uncomfortable for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. Please feel free to open them. Soft gaze in front of you on the floor and in your lab. An option is always available to you. The body supported, held up by the earth. The breath arising and falling 
without us having to make it be so or do anything special. Where is your attention right now? I invite you to turn a gentle awareness to where that attention is. To place it within the body. Starting from the top of your head. like water pouring into a glass. Simple, smooth, and unobstructed. This gentle flow of awareness. Finally settling in at the feet. Invite us all to to turn this gentle awareness, the soft attention to this process of the body called the breath. What is the breath like for you right now? Wherever you find the breath most prominent in your experience, the felt sense within the body, perhaps the rise and fall of the belly, perhaps the passage of air at the nostrils. Wherever that spot, that prominent spot is there for your body, where you notice the breath the most, I invite you to place the soft primary awareness there on the breath.
In this way, we can allow the breath to be this gentle anchor in the middle of all of our experiences right now. Of course, we may notice other things arising in our awareness. There may be thoughts, noticing other bodily sensations. There might be emotions. You don't have to get rid of any of those things. But rather, we can make this gentle choice to come back to the breath. And this balancing element as we sit together. There is no one meditator experience or any kind of experience any of us are supposed to be having. There just is. So whatever is on the mind, the heart, within the body, Now is a is this opportunity to be gentle. With this intention to remember to come back to the breath. Whether any of our experiences are different flavors of pleasant or unpleasant, maybe even neutral, not much is going on. Each moment is another opportunity to allow
There is no requirement to have a certain type of breath, a certain body, certain experience in order to, uh, to sit, to be aware in this way. Our simple bodily presence is enough. Whenever we can touch into this experience, this felt sense of the breath within the body, part of the body. We are teaching ourselves how to release from any one particular preoccupation. We're also giving ourselves this chance to build some balance, some calm, and some concentration. Not a way of denying what is occurring. There is always constant change. As a way of Moving with the moments. Riding these ways of experience.
invite us all to, to expand our lens of awareness just a little bit further. To bring attention to, to the body, to where the touch points along the body are meeting your cushion, your chair, your seat. Noticing the pressure maybe on the lower back, backside, back of the thighs. Noticing the bend of the knees. In the last few moments of sitting together, invite us all to explore what it's like, what it could be like to release all effort. Where can we discover this gentle abiding within the body, the breath? Simply being aware how the body is being held up right now, supported by the earth. Soft and stable in your, your cushion, your seat, or your chair.
Thank you for your practice. So I know that there's uh, quite a few of us on the Zoom call, call, phone call um, today, but um, be nice to hear like a brief hi from everyone. Hey, Not un- enough time for our introductions, but. I'll unmute everybody and just say good morning or whatever you want to say to everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see to share with all of you just some um, some thoughts and reflections um, that I had within my own practice and the uh, the intention of of hopefully providing some food for thought for your own practice, your own reflection. Maybe um, some, some nutriment for a discussion a little bit later on. So I don't know about all of you, the last few months have been quite challenging. I think it's fair to say that that's been the case to one degree or another for um, most of us. I've been working from home since mid-March. And um, it's been very hard. And what is also true is I thought that the Dharma, these teachings from the Buddha, have never been so relevant than they are right now. Relevant in a way that I didn't expect. That these teachings alongside these different experiences within my life and what I see with friends and family, people I don't know, hearing so many stories of heartache and grief. This um, real call for, uh, for this honesty. But right now it's like this. Not all, um, all grief, you know, as as horrific as um, the murder of George Floyd was and the uprisings of protests and 
there's a part of me, and I can only speak for myself, that hope that this could be beginning of change. So there's turbulence, right? Pandemic. Vast calls for deep societal change around race and justice. And over and over I've been, I see so many people, you know, myself too, call to what does this mean as a, as a student of the Dharma? What does the Dharma have to say about all of this? And there's so many different ways to look at it. There's not one answer, of course. We all have our unique individual lives and our, our own experiences as practitioners or not. You know, I identify as a Buddhist, not everybody does, and that's not a requirement to be here. Speaking for myself, I'm a student of these teachings of the Buddha. So it's been a challenge. What What does this mean? And this changes on a daily basis, an hourly basis. And um, one kind of aspect of teachings that has been coming up for me over and over is uh, equanimity, which is really ironic in a way, because equanimity, this teaching of this balance, the original word from the Buddhist time, Pali Upeka, the ability to, uh, to have a wise understanding of activities, of, of the heart, of the mind, of the world, of other people, kind of this um, balanced understanding of cause and effect, of this kind of cooling off of... Um, Perhaps this feeling of aversion or clinging where maybe conditions internally are reset to a more balanced way of perception, a relationship to what is occurring that may feel so turbulent maybe quite quite turbulent. I thought, well, how is that possible? <laughs> right now is so hard. And I think uh, one of the things that has really come up just within practices in the past couple of months is just finding this... Um, kind of interesting, for me at least, uh, perspective of this allowance. What is true is just true. That equanimity, this uh, relationship to balance is not, um, I think for a long time, you know, I had heard 
I don't think it was anybody's intention, teachers that I sat with or anything like that, but I had interpreted uh, teachings of equanimity as, um, well, you're going to stop feeling things, <laughs> that life was going to stop being difficult in some way. And it's all going to, you know, just be this kind of cool, um, total disentanglement from everything that is, is sad or, or painful. That's just going to stop. And I, I haven't found that to be true. And I think that's okay. I think that uh, this kind of honest um, kind of discovery for my own practice around and with equanimity, it's all these opportunities for these other aspects of the heart. One of the classic teachings in equanimity as the four, um, the four abodes, these four heart practices of kindness, compassion, appreciative joy. This allowing to open up to this kind of, wow, there's a lot of change and it is the kind of change that I really don't want to see for myself and other people. How can there be compassion if I'm not open to what is hard? How can there be kindness if I don't open up to what other people's experiences are, what other people need, what I need? How can I be my own teacher? And equanimity is also a teaching of this wisdom of there is turbulence. The classic uh, teachings on, on equanimity, the sutta, this uh, story from the Buddha's life was, um, of ancient teachings of the Buddha's conversations with monks and nuns and lay people, and also their stories of their practice and relationships with lay people at the time, Northern India, 2,600 years ago. Equanimity is um, kind of the outgrowth of practicing with the eight worldly winds, praise and blame, popularity and getting knocked off of any type of status. But just a couple examples. There's different variations of joy and, and heartache that are a part of life for all of us to one degree or another. And so this wisdom that this too is a part of my life so how do I respond to what is always going to be here? I think that's one aspect of equanimity that I have felt that has been kind of a companion for me for months now. It's kind of allowance. The first noble truth is also true. <laughs> always. That within life there is difficulty. It's 
So in so many of the, our teachings around the, from the dharmas, then how do we respond? What is our relationship to what is? And so we, like this practice that we uh, engaged in together in meditation, mindfulness. This is a choice that we, we made together, right? We'd have done a lot of things with our time. You know, got outside for a walk, watch TV, do whatever. Maybe we'll do that afterwards, who knows? But um, this kind of attention to this cultivation of how do I respond to what is occurring right now? Allowing this kind of steady attention to the mind, the heart, the breath. The outgrowth of this practice is kind of like a gardening of the heart, right? Building these seeds of of awareness, of calm, of steadiness, is a potential spaciousness around any one of our experiences. We can give ourselves a chance to not necessarily always cling to any one experience. That's very hard to do. I don't want to be glib about that. You know, this kind of alternative I think the Dharma provides us is how can we perhaps turn it around in a different way. It's fair to say, you know, I'm not, I don't think I, you know, personally don't think I'm wrong, that not every moment of that meditation was pure bliss for everybody. Every moment was just so great. You know, I'm sure there were other things happening other than bliss. It's like, well, we sit with that. And it's so much, you know, easier said than done. And, and yet it happened, right? We sat for a half hour and we sat with whatever was there, which wasn't, you know, uninterrupted happiness. And this is kind of this delving into a practice where the spaciousness can allow some equanimity to grow. And at least for me, and what I've heard sometimes from teachers and other people that I've sat with, sometimes equanimity can um, grow in such a way that it's, it's this ability to, to kind of bend, to be flexible, to have this adaptability of the heart. This is a tough time, maybe a time that's not all tough. I want to recognize that we have moments of relief, which could be as simple as a, a glass of water when we're thirsty, to greater magnitudes of joy, of happiness, of all kinds of things. I've had two friends get married couple last couple of weeks. Difficult decisions made about canceled weddings, plans completely turned upside down, and this commitment to the love they had for each other that they were going to adapt in a way that they're still going to do this. 
not the way they had planned. And much joy and happiness within that moment as well. It was all true. So we may have these, this kind of differing views around equanimity that it can allow us this balance, perhaps to bend this chance for this honesty, right? We're asked in this practice of meditation, for instance, to be really honest. What is the breath like right now? It may not be so easy for all of us at this moment. What is it like to sit? Some of us sit with pain or difficulty. Or some of us, you know, that changes. One moment there's a pain in the backside and in another it went away. Or the relief of, ah, maybe it was a difficult morning and it feels good to just rest the body. Who knows? We all have our different experiences with sitting. And the equanimity can provide us this larger view that's all true and it's okay that it's all true. Some of the various reasons in the last couple of months I've shared now come up in moments of, I don't know how I'm gonna be in the morning. I don't know how I'm gonna feel. How can I get through this day? I've had days like that. And so I thought, but right now I'm here. Right now there's breath in my body. Right now I'm alive. So what do I do with that? What is my response to the life that is occurring right now? And this touchstone, this constant touchstone that I of right now, what is, what is here? I think has been this kind of, I don't know, I've been a Dharma practitioner the last 15 years. And I had no idea that these, these Dharma teachings would come up over and over again like this in a very real way of like, what, what do I do right now? Sometimes that's been as simple as I, I need to clean the bathroom. <laughs> and there's been times that's been a really good answer. Well, it's equanimity, right? I don't know what I'm going to do. The ability to sit with that, of the not knowing. Like the breath is true. My body right now is true still here. Okay, I'm going to get up and clean the bathroom. And so I think um, I've been surprised at how equanimity has been this companion with me 
in a way that I didn't expect. I had assumed that meant I would stop feeling things. <laughs> if I really got equanimity, I would stop being angry. And for me, um, at this point, I don't know if that'll happen later on. <laughs> but uh, right now, it's meant a lot of gentleness and understanding. And not always, but more than I've ever expected around, around kind of the arising of rage sometimes. There's been a lot going on that I've been very angry about. I'm like, well... And with mindfulness practice, to sit with that, to, to really be patient with that. Why am I angry? What is here? That allowance. Finding what's beneath the layers of anger, fear. Sometimes. It's really deep kind of wanting to still be here to survive. And I'm not only speaking about the pandemic, I'm a, I'm a woman of color, I'm a Latina, a Chicana. And so this awareness, greater awareness of, I see in greater culture around me, around race and social justice the past few weeks. It's brought up memories of, of experiences of discrimination, of my family has gone through and so I you know it's like remembering that it's like okay this here too and so equanimity has become this kind of unexpected teacher if you told me in the beginning, you know, early March, that equanimity, you'll, it'll be something there. I would have thought, you know, how is that even possible with everything that's so difficult? And um, it's been a, a really different, for me, a, a different discovery around equanimity. So... I want to thank you for your time, your attention, your listening. Now, I offer only my own experiences because, you know, I, I don't know yours. <laughs> I don't want to universalize. You know, we all have our individual experiences. There may be your own of like, well, I don't know what the, what the heck that is, or that's not true for me, or yeah, or, you know, another aspect. So, you know, I offer just as um, very humbly as just another student, ultimately. So I think that uh, now's um, a good time for, for, for that, for your own expression of your own experience or even non-experience. It's like, no, I don't know what that is. I don't know. Whatever, you know, you feel called to to speak to, we'll have some um, breakout groups and the question that, um, like the prompt that I'd like to give you is, um, what is your experience with equanimity right now? And that could be anything of 
no, I don't have any experiences and this is why, or I do. And however you want to respond to that question, that's really open-ended. So, Don. Yes. Um, so I'll send us off to um, uh, no more than four people per breakout room. So, uh, Eileen, did you just want to, are you ready for people to share? Did you want to say yeah. something before? Okay. Yeah, please, um, if you'd like to share, ask a question or yeah. anything like that, you're, you're, please do so. And, and if you don't, that's okay too. I wanted to share um, something that Heather said, which I thought was particularly nice about flexibility and being like a tree or bamboo that bends in the wind. And then Sushila added, so that you don't snap. And she mentioned she's trying not to snap at her son, who's a teenager. So I thought it was an interesting mixture between flexibility, movement, and not losing your temper. Yeah, I uh, actually wanted to ask, um, if, I, if I can, I wanted to ask Anthony about something he was talking about yesterday when he did his Dharma talk. Um, he was talking about, um, in this situation, just I wanted him to try and connect the idea of equanimity with the, um, when he asked us to, he, he had us look around the room at the end and look what we saw and see what we saw. And then he, he you know, afterwards he asked us to look around to, to look for empty space. And he was connecting between the two different, you know, hemispheres of the brain and how they would, um, you know, how we're responding to things. And, and I, I felt like there was some kind of connection that with that in this conversation about equanimity. So I was wondering if he wanted to talk about that for a minute, if he feels comfortable doing that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so basically, I was uh, giving a talk yesterday on, on uh, how the brain works and how the left talking, uh, judging, uh, pattern recognition, part of the brain is typically out of balance with the right side of the brain, which sees things more holistically uh, and has visual perceptual abilities. So if you ask someone to look around the room, typically, and what do you see? They'll mention the objects that they see because the left brain is the talking part of the brain. So it says, I see a chair, I see a desk, you know. But the right side of the brain doesn't have language, but it's also perceiving the room as well, but holistically, it sees the whole room. And if I asked you to walk from one side of the room to the other, you'd be able to avoid the furniture. So that's the right side of the brain. Uh, so Meditation is a right side brain, like Qigong, Tai Chi, and it helps balance the brain and helps. Uh, so it helps balance the brain. Um, equanimity, you know, is it, more like you ask the Zen master, well, you seem so calm, don't you have emotions? And sure, they have emotions, but they don't hold on to them and they don't push them away. And so as a result, Anything that arises in the mind is okay. 
the longer you sit, the more you're okay with whatever thoughts come up, whatever feelings come up, whatever perceptions come up. They're just something, they're just an object to pay attention to and let go of. So you go from being that thought and being that emotion to having some distance from that thought and that emotion. It's something that you just watch. It becomes an object like the sound of the bird outside or the sound of a car going down the street. It's not something that you are attached to and it's not something that you have an aversion to. And so that would be my definition of equanimity. Mm -hmm. uh, not giving things energy by being attached to them, like you have a judging thought. And so you believe that's how things are or having the thought, oh my God, I'm still judging, which also gives that energy. It's more like an old friend, judging pops up and it's like, oh, there's judging, oh, it's gone. So that's equanimity. <laughs> everything's okay to come, everything's okay to go. Just pay attention to everything and relinquish everything. Yeah. It seems like equanimity is, you know, kind of a, you know, seeing the whole picture right brain type of thing in a way. Yeah, that's why connected for me. Okay, thanks. Appreciate you coming in. Okay, uh, I'm unmuted now. Okay. I'll share. I'll share my uh, equanimity failing yesterday. <laughs> uh, as I mentioned in the small group, I've always been kind of a macho guy, you know, involved in sports and martial arts and all that. But um, something is, and then this whole. You know, the coronavirus thing, it has not been difficult for me because of the practice. I'm so grateful uh, to the Buddha. But I'm sitting on my couch watching the, the uh, Channel 4 fireworks display, and they start playing the Black National Anthem. They played the Star Spangled Banner and, you know, all these patriotic songs. It was the first time I'd ever heard the Black National Anthem played on television and I just started crying and I let myself cry for about five minutes and then I shut it shut it off but it was just so I would I would say it was uh, not a normal thing for me I'm not normally uh, you know cry baby but uh, I will say that 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 happened yesterday I have a question about that. I mean, I, I have not been practicing for, I've only been practicing for a few years. Um, so when an emotion comes up, like, like you were explaining, uh, Anthony, about crying, I mean, how, I'm not really sure how that is not equanimity. Maybe that's that's really my question here. So I'd like to speak to that a little bit. Just for my own experience. Um, so I think that there are multiple ways to relate to equanimity. And from my own perspective as a practitioner and as someone who 
has been teaching for the past few years here and there, is that when emotions come up, I think there can be such a way as to relate to them that right now there's an emotion and emotions are allowed. And um, there's an opportunity to also have a spaciousness around them. They're, they're not necessarily um, a fixed point or a part of an identity that's going to last for any particular long period of time. I think this kind of radical opening up and noticing what is in the mind, the heart, and the body can also um, have the sensitivity that allows, like, you know, sometimes these things are upsetting. And this is where there could be a possible opening for empathy and compassion for ourselves when we're in heartache, and also for other people. Equanimity is this balancing factor that can allow some steadying where we can go to the next moment, that we can go through that, and then come out not over or denying or averting, but through that it was a difficult moment or that was a sad moment. And now we're on to another one. We allow kind of like that process. And it's a process. Maybe there's a moment of grief. There's a way to move through that and to allow some healing. So it's not that it's not happening or um, I'm not allowed to have feelings. And sometimes with paradoxically, with that allowing, without having to cling on to it or averting, and that, you know, that's easier said than done. I don't want to um, give this impression that this is all kind of uh, by force or by will. This isn't practice. Daily practice, meditation, this kind of giving ourselves to this process that uh, we can go through that the whole day or the whole, that that's, you know, my life is now grief. I can't go on to the next moment or the next day, or I can't allow some peace. That's with this kind of moving through and recognizing the honesty of the moment. Sometimes paradoxically, we are less reactive emotionally in the sense that we may not be as um, prone to be knocked off our center. We may not actually be as upset. <laughs> if we allow that to, to be uh, those upsetting emotions or experiences to actually be there in our consciousness and really be awake, aware to them, there can be that softening. It's, you know, it's like um, the teaching around the story of the Buddha uh, gave the suttas teaching around arrows, like the first arrow. I have an example of the grief that happened, the disappointment that happened, the death that happened, or the unexpected thing that happened, the thing that we didn't want to have happen, happened. And the second arrow is the, uh, the aversion to it, the, the story about it, the stress around it. That can be, lead to a lot of suffering. The clinging onto it is with our practice that maybe we can be to let go of that second arrow 
and just kind of allow the uh, the first arrow to fall away with the process of just this is a part of life. The first noble truth: there is difficulty. It's kind of um, and that's where that spaciousness that we you know was talked about earlier can grow, and we don't have to hold on so much. And then one outgrowth of that is kind of a cooling off can cool off a little bit to allow moments like that to pass. Hmm. So I hope that helps. Yes, 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 thank you. Um, yeah, in relation to the idea of emotions, um, I find for myself that emotion or <clears throat> there's often tears for me when I, when I, when my heart opens. And um, I'm not sure why that is, um, but I, like I was sharing this story in the small group about how I had been feeling unhappy for no, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to be unhappy, of course, but I would say like for no real good reason, I was feeling unhappy for the past couple of days. And it came to, I just, in my way of trying to solve the problem, which was different than how solving the problem might've looked, you know, a year or several years ago, it came to me that I felt that I needed to, to do some gratitude practice. And, um, my daughter had sent me a video, um, that was just about gratitude and tears came to my eyes. And I, I started to finally feel my heart and um, it was um, there. Were, you know, I don't really know what the name of the emotion is, but maybe it was a, a grief that um, I had spent, you know, 24 to, to 48 hours just sort of numb and like just kind of pissed off for no reason, you know, um, when I could have made a different choice. And it the, letting those tears come, you know, and opening my heart felt really um like the right thing to do because then I was able to, um, it was like a reset for me. Um, and I was able to, um, engage with the world with my heart open. So for me, I feel like tears are super important. <laughs> um, like I, I welcome them and, um, I feel like my emotions can teach me a lot. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for uh, your time and your attention and your practice. It was a, a joy and an honor to be with you today. Thank you, Eileen. Uh-huh. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.